everybody. Welcome back. We went on episode number five. If you've liked our content so far, please like and subscribe below to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow us on Instagram so you're the first person to know whenever we upload new videos or post new content. So I'm Dr. Sasani Watson. Hi, I'm Dr. Rochelle Sharkey. Dr. Cortez Lewis. And I'm Dr. Adesola Fidei. And we are the 3%. So today we're going to be talking about some of the challenges that we faced in school and how we turn those challenges into learning points and teaching points to make us better clinicians now that we're out and actually practicing in the real world. So I'm going to pass this on to Dr. Adesola today and he's going to get us started in this conversation. All right, so yeah, I'll go ahead and get this conversation started. You know, for me, it's such an open-ended question because when I think back on my experience, you know, in optometry school, I can say that it wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't feel seen, right? I'm six feet, 280 pounds. They gonna see me and they saw me, but they didn't feel, right? I didn't feel felt all the time. I didn't feel like I was heard all the time. And that's where the respect started to come into the picture for me personally. You know, I'm not gonna sit here and act like all five years I was in optometry school, that I felt that way because it wasn't, it, it's not true. The first three years when I was in optometry school was essentially we're all in it together. You know, essentially you, you're just grinding it out, trying to make sure you make the grades. That inherent racial bias did not literally begin to rear its ugly head until we got into the clinical setting, which was in third year. I'm gonna put you guys in a clinical scenario. Watch this. Let's say you've got me in clinic, big black guy, and you've got white girl in clinic, or even an Asian girl, right? Now it's me and her. Now we have a doctor who's gonna ask us a particular question about a case that we're, we're involved in at the moment. She's gonna ask us what we take, what our take is on that particular case. We're gonna answer that question the exact same way, right? And we're going to give the exact same answer, but it's going to be in two different ways. I'm going to say it my way. She's going to say it her way. Now, let me tell you this. Well, let me ask you this. Which way do you think you're more inclined or who do you think you're more inclined to believe? Me or her? Right? Me, the big black dude, right? Who doesn't look the part or her who maybe might look the part? Eight or nine times out of ten, you're going to believe her. Why is this important? Because when I was in school, specifically in clinic, there were so many moments that I doubted myself because I didn't get that nod and that appreciation that I needed sometimes, right? How did it play out for me, right? This is how it played out. In that particular scenario, watch this. When she says her answer, she gets a, oh, that's what's up. That's, that's a great job, good, that's a good. But when I give my answer, you know what I get? Uh, it's not enough. I, I, I get it's not, it, it's almost there. I get the, it's almost their response. I get the, cook needs a little bit of work. Well, wait, wait, wait. How, how come when I say it, it, it still needs some work? I get criticized on the things that I said and the things that I do. But when, but when the white girl says it, the white boy says it, or the Asian girl says it, it seems a little bit more credible when, when, when they do, right? And that's the experience that you go through when you're in optometry school, 
those are the things that you got to learn to deal with, unfortunately. But how do you combat that? How do you fix that, right? You got to learn that you got to be better. You can't be bitter. You got to be better. So that means you got to work twice as hard than everybody else. And that's just the fact of the matter. So what did I do? I said, you know what? I see how y'all want to play the game. So this is what I did. I made sure I didn't give them no reason ever again to fail me, give me a bad mark. I said, if I'm going to pass everything with flying colors and I'm going to be the best clinician that they've seen. And that's what I did. Because sometimes you got to make sure that your presence is felt. You got to make sure that your greatness is known and that you're not going to be one of the people that you, they're not going to respect. Now you got to make sure that they understand what you bring to the table and that they find value to that. And that's what I had to endure when I was in school for the most part. And that right there is, I think, something that I was able to do when I was at Nova. Yeah, so I can definitely agree with you there. Um, just the whole acknowledgement, being a student and not really getting that feedback that you think you're supposed to be getting. Um, and even just the whole respect value, like you said, I felt like I wasn't good enough, you know, hearing from these other professors and them wanting more from me. Um, you know, I can give you countless times where I got that impression that I wasn't good enough. And, you know, going into my rotations, my one of my very first clinical experiences, I was at a site thinking I was doing really well. I had got great feedback from my preceptors. The patients loved me. You know, even my classmates had saw me excelling in this particular site. And we had went into our midterm review and you know, I'm sure Cortez can even, you know, attest to this. When we sat down, I was literally across from our director at the time, thinking I've done really well and think I'm about to get a really good review. And I sit down right across from him and he's like looking at all my grading and he's like, um, I don't, I don't see why that they, they graded you the way that they did. So I was like, what do you what do you mean like I literally only worked with this guy one time and it was just very strange for him to kind of come to this conclusion that I wasn't good enough when we hadn't really never even worked before worked together at all before so that kind of came to a surprise to me and the fact that he even went as far as else to say that I should even take a remedial course like, I was very, very confused because at this point, you know, it's complete opposite of what I had even thought of. And even what our, you know, all the preceptors I had worked with had said about me. They all had great reviews about me, you know, even when it came to my hair. I mean, you see this, I have big curly hair. And, you know, going through optometry school, I don't think it was as huge of an issue until it came to going on my rotation sites. I actually um, was sitting in our OTM lab, which, you know, there was a professor that approached me and I don't think he meant any harm by it, but, you know, he went as far as to say that, Rochelle, you should probably tone it down when you get to the clinic because they may not deem it as professional. So for me, I'm like, well, what is professional? Like, how is you know, the way that my hair comes out of my head, not professional. Why does that make it seem that I'm not a professional person? And, you know, that really weighed heavy on me because I had to slick my hair back all the time. I had to kind of 
lower how I am as a person to just get these grades to make it through school. And, you know, I did what I had to do, but at the end of the day, did it really mean that much for me to wear my hair the way it comes out of my scalp? I just, it, it really wasn't something I felt like should have been as big of an issue as it was. Piggyback off Rochelle, uh, we were in the same thing together, different times, different days, but we also dealt with this same professor at the time who was over us in clinic. So for me, um, just going through the motions, thinking that I'm doing a great job in clinic, reporting back to the doctors, they're giving me feedback. But then when it gets to the midterm, where I have to sit down in front of the director or the head, and then it's not so much of a good review. It's like, well, you could do better here. Your skills aren't what they need to be. And it's like, when you're thinking you're doing well and you're not getting the right feedback along the way, it can, it can be deceiving when it comes down to trying to get that grade. So me being only working with that professor one time in that entire three month rotation, I really felt like, you know, how did you come up with, with such a grading here? Like, where did you get your information from? Because I'm under the impression that I'm doing a really good job. But again, they're all learning experiences. I started to look at them as, you know, if it's a challenge, if it's adversity, flip that. Let's try to look at it from an aspect of we're here to learn. We started out in clinic, we were seeing patients and it might take two, three, maybe four hours just to see one patient because we were doing so many different activities, so many different tests on the patient that may not have to do anything with their case, but we were doing things to kind of get that education background. So there was this one instance when I first started clinic and I was under Dr. Espejo at the time. And I, I say her name because this was a very good experience for me in moving forward with, with my career. So anyway, I had a patient and only with the patient, we, we go do the workup and we report back to the professor with our findings. So when we're doing a prescription, we're normally gonna correct distance first. If they're elderly patients, sometimes they're gonna need a reading ad for up close as well. So at the time I report to Dr. Espejo and she, she simply, she asked me, what do you think I should give this patient as an ad? Based on the working distance, based on what they're doing, what should I give this patient? Back in the day, there are many ways to determine an ad, maybe about four or five different ways to determine it. Now, today, I know that you just go based on the age table. It's very simple. How old is the patient? This is the ad I'll give. And typically, most all cases, you're going to prescribe the same ad in both eyes. Back when I was learning, she asked me, hey, so what ad would you give this patient? And I might have said, oh, we'll give a plus 150 on the right eye. The left eye, we're going to give a plus 250, plus 225. And the look that she gave me was, was just so disgusted. She was like, I can't believe you just said that. You know, that was an experience that where I don't remember a lot of things in my past, but certain things that I have, certain experiences that I have had in the past, that was one of the ones that will stick with me forever. So moving forward in how I practice now, I think about those things, you know, what makes sense in this particular case, you know, based on the age table. There are simpler ways to do things in your profession versus what you would do in school. So kind of putting all the data together and, and looking at the patient that's sitting right there in front of you. So I look at all those things as learning experiences. If I had not had them, I wouldn't be the kind of doctor that I am today. Yeah, that's really great. So piggybacking off of that, I would say that for me, thankfully I didn't have too many negative experiences with professors. Most of the negative experience are I'd say learning moments that I had to do with dealing with patients during a lot of my rotations. Well, my main rotation, I was in Charleston, South Carolina at the VA hospital. And Charleston is a really great place. It's a very, very Southern, Southern city. And I'll just leave it at that. I've had a lot of elderly white male patients. And 
they sometimes weren't too thrilled about having a young black female student doctor. I was the only black doctor in that clinic. And so that was the first time I ever experienced racism or racist remarks from patients. Patients called me a nurse, even though I specifically said, I'm gonna be your student doctor, I'm gonna be one taking care of you. Even though I said that, it didn't click in their mind, they would still be disrespectful to me. And thankfully my preceptors there, they did stand up for me. My preceptors were not black, they were both white and they were really great, but that was something that I never experienced at school in South Florida. South Florida is a very diverse area and I never experienced any type of racist remarks. I didn't really even expect to hear that from patients. So it really shocked me, but it was definitely a learning moment because now I can treat everybody and I no longer feel like I get that confidence blow when a patient doesn't like me. Like all my patients are not gonna like me and that's okay, that's something that I have to understand and accept that just because you don't like me doesn't mean that I'm gonna treat you differently. Like you're still my patient, that's still my job to take care of you, take care of your eyes and treat you as to the best of my ability. Whether you like me or not, it's completely irrelevant. And I really feel like that point was driven home and allowed me to see patients more as a holistic view rather than, oh, I really want to make sure that they like me so that they listen to what I say. No, that's not true. And I learned that. I also learned that a lot of my Black patients trusted me, little old me, student doctor me, over the surgeons who were going to be doing cataract surgery or glaucoma procedures on them. And I would refer them out saying, oh, this is so-and-so, like you have cataracts, but you're not seeing as well. I'm going to go to the cataract doctor. He's going to come in and explain the procedure to you. They're looking at me while the doctor's talking to them. I was like, oh, well, okay. That's interesting. But I really learned how much Black patients do trust Black doctors. Like they trusted me, the student, over the seasoned, very friendly, very kind, nurturing surgeon who might have been 50 or 60 years old, and they're looking clear past him looking me dead in the eye, like, is what he's telling me, is that right? Like, like, should I do that? And then even when the doctor would leave after, like, okay, can you re-explain it to me? And so that also helped me build my confidence in just dealing with patients and realize how much of an inherent trust there is when you have patients who look like you. They're really excited to see you. Do you guys think that the experiences you had as students shaped you to become a better clinician now that we're out in the real world? Yeah, of course. You know, for me, I kind of had a break out of that spectrum that, hey, you don't necessarily have to fit in or fit this mold of what a doctor is supposed to look like. You can still get things done, be professional, and be you at the end of the day. Like, my natural hair does not define me. I rock my natural hair every day. Um, and even going back to my experiences in clinic, you know, yeah, I had to work a little bit harder just because there may have been certain things that professors viewed me in a certain way or, you know, just the whole mentality that me being not good enough, I had to find it in myself to know that, hey, you, you know what you're doing. You don't have to kind of rely on these biases that may be presented to you when people may look at you in a certain way, may not feel that you're good enough. You kind of have to break out of that mold and tell, show them that, hey, I am good enough, so. What about the boys, Cortez? <laughs> I guess I'll take over for this part. <laughs> uh, as far as being a clinician now in the real world, uh, I do think that anything I've learned in school, it was just really the most basic knowledge to get through. Okay, once you're out in the real world, you're constantly learning. You're constantly learning. You have to take C classes. You have to do all these things to stay sharp. 
So I find that, that even practicing now in the real world, you don't remember everything. Okay, you always have to refer back to your notes to things that you might have heard that you need to really follow up on. So I realize that now that in practicing, it's okay to tell the patient, hold on, I think I found something. Let me go look this up real quick to make sure I'm accurate. I have some differential diagnosis, but I want to make sure before we make a final diagnosis. And I'm okay with telling the patient that because it gives them that confidence that even though he did not know, he was willing to go find out. So with any race, with any any type of people, you know, I'm, I'm very consistent. You know, no matter if I get bad reviews, which I have had bad reviews posted about me, I'm okay with that because everybody is not going to like you as their doctor. You're there to perform the same way and give everybody the exact same treatment across the board. You know, no matter who's sitting across from you, they're there for a service. You're there to offer them great service. And then hopefully, you know, they'll come back and see you. But again, it's just about, you know, what you took from that instance in school and how you can translate to analytical thinking when you're out in the practice. Hey, absolutely. I think and you raised such a good point. You know, everybody's not going to love you. You know, just that's just the fact. They're just not. Right. But we still have a responsibility to make sure that we're pushing the, the needle forward um, as black eye care professionals and just black professionals, period. Right. Like, continue to show everybody that you deserve everything that's coming your way and that you deserve to have the spot that you got, right? You, 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 you know, we've worked so hard to, to get where we are right now. Um, we're going to show out. We're going to have fun with it. And sometimes people are not going to like that. But we have a responsibility, not just to ourselves, but to our patients as well to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. I think you need to find yourself within whatever profession you're in. But if you're in optometry school, or you wanna be in optometry, what you'll realize is you gotta find yourself within this profession. Find the niche, find something you want to do, and then go excel at it, because that's the expectation. We wanna be not just looked at as, oh, that's a black doctor, and he just brings this. No, we gotta establish our value, like I said earlier, and tell them, hey, listen, this is what I bring to the table, which is a certain level of excellence. For me personally, when I was in school, I always wanted to um, become an entrepreneur. And that's something that I've been blessed and fortunate enough to do. When I was in school, I wanted to always come out with a sunglass line that I believe represented our, not only my African and Nigerian culture, but the black culture, right? And, 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 and it displayed it in a way that I thought that was that was beautifully representative of who we really truly are on the inside. So that's why I came up with my own sunglass line. It was called Ade Luxury Eyewear, uh, which you can go online and you can still cop some, some sunglasses. I still got that for you. It, it's that fire, don't worry. AdeLuxuryEyewear.com, check it out. But, um, but it just goes to show you, you gotta find a niche. You know, we're expected to be great. And, and, and part of that is, 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 is finding who you are. And I think once we are able to do that, then like I said, we can continue to pursue, be the best version of ourselves, not just for us, but for our patients as well. I think that's so valuable. Um, also, his sunglasses are really fire. I have a lot of them and I love them. But anyway, I digress. But like you said, all patients are not going to like you, but it's your job to make sure that you're the best clinician that you can be for that patient during that exam experience. I know a lot of times I've had patients come in, they may have been a little bit apprehensive to see me for various reasons. One, I'm black. Two, I'm young. And three, I'm brand new to them. But after we do our exam, like, 
you're so knowledgeable. Like you took the time to explain all this to me. No doctor's ever done this before. They really value that experience. They value that I took the time to talk to them, care about them and treat them as a person, not just another patient, not just another number. It's really important to figure out who you are as a clinician and how your bedside manner is gonna be with patients because everybody is different. My approach to talking to patients may be different than my colleagues on here, but it's mine. And it's what I've developed and cultivated over the past years. That's what works for me. I hope you guys have enjoyed all of our points of view, whether they were similar or different, and that you learned a lot about some of the hardships that we went through through school and how we turned those hardships into true advantages. Now that we're out in the real world and having fun, dealing with patients, having new businesses, and really just being the best that we can be and showing light on this profession. So we'll see you guys in our next episode. Thank you so much for joining us. See you next time. Bye, y'all. Oh